Welcome back for the second episode of the Appalachian Broncos podcast. I'm your host, Mark, joined once again by my co-host, Nate. What's up? It's good to be back. Our new intro music was produced by our good friend, Dennis Cornell. Give his Instagram a look. His handle is at soulsperiodrare dot spent. Let's get it started with our weekly update. So weekly update, we're going to start off with injuries. First and foremost, as you know, Drew Locke was banged up in the last game against bad, the Raiders. Bad. What do you think about that, Nate? Man, he just... He got murdered all game. Like he, he's, there was no blocking. It was, of course, he's injured. Right. He's officially listed with an abdominal strain. He has the potential to actually miss the Dolphins game. He's been splitting starter reps with Brett Rippin this week. Yeah, they said he might be active, but be the backup role at quarterback, so. which is an interesting thing for them to do. Also added to the injury report, we have Noah Fant. He also has a rib injury. He did not participate in practice on Wednesday. His game status for Sunday is questionable. Yeah, um, I'm not too worried about Noah Fant. We know that he, he plays through just about anything. He's been playing through that ankle injury like the last three weeks. Finally, he should be recovered from that. And now it's a rib injury that he's mostly dealing with. So I think he'll be fine. Also on the injury report is middle linebacker Joe Jones. He has a calf injury. He will be out Sunday. I don't think he's even played in a game yet this season. Yeah, yeah. Jake Rogers, the right tackle, he has a shoulder injury. He's questionable. Uh, DeMar Dotson will actually be returning this week, so we shouldn't have to worry about having fifth string Calvin Anderson in, which we'll actually get into later in our segment. Elijah Wilkinson and Andrew Beck are eligible to return from IR this week. Yeah, they haven't been activated yet, but they are eligible, So, which means they are healthy. It's just depending if they're game ready or not. Um, So with that, we'll get into our COVID part of our weekly update. We'll start off with Shelby Harris, who is still recovering. He should be good to go for the Saints game, but this week he's not going to be in. Um, The whole NFL was placed into intensive protocols this week. Um, You've probably seen it through the news, so... Because of that, no fans are going to be allowed at the Broncos games for the remainder of the season. Just a health and safety decision. Right. And with, with the whole NFL being placed in intensive protocols, what that, mean, what that means is all the players, when they're at the facility, will have to wear mandatory face masks. And all team meetings will be held via Zoom or Microsoft Skype, Teams, yeah, whatever, something, whatever something. they use. So moving on from that, we're going to go into some players in the news. We had two birthdays recently. Today is the 23rd birthday for tight end Noah Fant. Yesterday was the 27th birthday for safety Justin Simmons. What a combo of birthdays back to back. Right. Two really good players for us. Justin Simmons, goat safety. Also in the news, former corner Devontae Harris, who you all know struggled mightily in the Falcons game, was waived by the team this week and claimed off waivers by the Ravens. Yeah. Yeah, so that that concludes our weekly update. So we'll get into our review of the Raiders game. I always like to start with positives. Let's start on a good foot. So, I mean, the best positive from the game, if you watched it, was Bryce Callahan. He played out of his mind. He just com- he just continues to prove how good of a player he is. He, had, he only allowed three receptions and only allowed nine yards and was targeted seven times. And he just, he was a lockdown the whole game. What did you think of Bryce's play? I was so happy to uh, see him back in the game. Unfortunately, he missed practice today. So hopefully he has just, you know, got a veteran rest day, which the Broncos have been doing for years, dating back to when Peyton Manning played. And they're trying not to push him too hard because we're definitely going to need him against these Dolphins receivers on Sunday. Yeah, he definitely earned an off day if that's what it is. Oh, yeah. So next up, we got Josie Jewell, who once again played out of his mind, hit like crazy, and even had amazing pass coverage. So he finished with six tackles, and then in pass coverage, Pro Football Focus gave him a 72.8 coverage rating, which that was the highest rated pass coverage on our defense, right? I believe so. If it wasn't the highest, it was one of the highest. Yeah. So our next positive is going to be our rookie receivers. One of the few highlights of our offense they last seem to, week. They seem to be on this list every week. The two of them have been electrifying, and they have breathed new life into this offense, even though they struggle to get the ball at times. Yeah, and then our final positive is going to be Dalton Reisner's post-game interview. If you didn't see it, he basically talked about how the team's still fighting, nobody's given up, the offense is supporting the defense, the defense is supporting the offense, the special team's in there too. He had a whole interview about the fact that like, no matter what the fans are doing or the media saying that 
everybody's together, which I love to hear. That's awesome. But I've also heard players say that in the past and it wasn't true, which kind of leads us perfectly into the negatives. I'll let you get that, Mark. Yeah, so with the negatives, we're going to go into the offense, which has definitely been a weak point for the Denver Broncos for years now, but it was definitely on display against the Raiders as we couldn't get anything going. Tough to watch. Definitely, and that definitely starts with the play calling. First and foremost, too many short routes. We have speed burners like Judy and Hamler even Deshaun Hamilton, and we make them run little two-yard routes every single time. We're not going to stretch the yeah, field and, like that. And my big issue with the with the play calling those short routes is Shermer keeps calling these short formations where he has like bunch sets and things like that where everybody's close together. And then when you hike the ball, they can't get these good releases because they're all there's all sorts of crowd, and you're having to avoid your receivers. You're having to avoid the defense. And it's just not setting up long passes you can't pass deep passes out of a short stacked right our plays our plays take way too long to develop which definitely does not help when you have a very banged up offensive line and quarterback and receiver and everybody everybody (laughs) yeah but honestly though the biggest play calling mistake that if you're a broncos fan you probably definitely noticed this is that we run the ball Every single time on second and ten. Second and ten. Every time. They it's s- a given. Every single time. If you see Melvin Gordon in that backfield on second and ten, he is getting a handoff. And he's going to get stopped for a one or two he, yard Not game. only is he getting a handoff, he's getting a handoff up the middle. It's yep. no stretch running. It's always straight up the field. And it usually gives us two yards, so, if that. Pat Shermer, what are you doing? Come on, man. And that transition was perfectly into the run game for the offense, which was honestly some of the worst running I've ever seen. Yes, Melvin Gordon had 11 attempts for 46 yards, but Philip Lindsay only touching the ball four times. What do you think about that, Nate? That's horrible because knowing Philip Lindsay, you know that he gets better as the game progresses. Even the last two seasons when he rushed for 1,000 yards, if you watch him in the first quarter – he was never spectacular. It was that third and the fourth quarter that he like just breaks down defenses with his ability to find gaps and just elude people and force people to chase him and tire out. And if you're only giving him four touches, of course he's not doing well. Do, so do you think he's hurting it or do you think he's in the doghouse with the coaches? What do you think's going on there? It's got to be the doghouse because, I mean, he, he got three weeks off for the turf toe mm-hmm. and... Which I've had, by the way. Yeah, that is I'm not a say, fun injury. It, so it's not a fun injury, but at at the NFL stage, with all the help that they have, it's not a three week long injury. It's, when I had it, it wasn't even a one week long injury. Yeah, it's, so. it's something you should be able to come back pretty quick. And ever since he's come back, he's not received any carries right. besides the game that Melvin Gordon wasn't at. So do you think that this might have something to do with his upcoming contract situation this off season? Do you think there's some kind of bad blood between him and the? front office yeah i mean i've i've read some other analysts thinking that like philip Lindsay doesn't want to be a bronco because he wanted to be at in baltimore at the Ravens and stuff and i don't really play into that mm-hmm. being at training camp there are only two players that like hyped up the fans before every training camp practice and it was philip Lindsay and von miller and we all know how von miller feels about the broncos exactly he loves them i really get the same vibe from philip i think he wants to say I don't think he's necessarily happy. I mean, would you be happy if you're getting four touches over 60 minutes? So Versus guys that, like Royce, Fre- Royce Freeman touched the ball just as much as Philip Lindsay did, and Royce Freeman barely ever plays nowadays. Yeah. So the player that probably gets affected the most by having a terrible running game, though, is Drew Locke, who had probably the worst game he ever has had as a pro. What do you think about him this week, Nate? He played scared. I mean... Uh, the right side of our line, and it's not really an issue to Graham Glasgow, is Lloyd Cushenberry didn't really do much help in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then our right tackle, little Ferris wheel going on there, yep. did nothing. Um, so, like, literally, he had pressure coming straight into him on the side that he's looking at the whole game. Against one of the worst pressure-forcing teams in the NFL. They're the worst... One of the lowest in turnovers, they'd only forced five turnovers all season, and they had forced five against us on Sunday. Yeah, and I think that's big into our running game. Like, yeah, Melvin Gordon honestly had a pretty good game, finding gaps and stuff, but we didn't run the ball at all. We had a total of, let's see, 17 carries the whole game. Mm -hmm. And, like, 
I think it was like five in the second half or something like right. that. And it's like the Raiders coach said, man, if they're not going to run the ball, we'll just blitz every single time. And that's what they did. And yep. that's why we were pressured the, every single time. And that, that made Drew Locke do a lot of his quote-unquote signature fadeaway throws, which yeah, resulted in a the lot back of... Foot. He forced a ton of throws, thrown into pressure against... I mean, Jeff Heath picked him off twice. The last time I remember Jeff Heath doing anything is when he kicked that kickoff for Dallas like five <laughs> years ago. So. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you can't blame it all on Drew Locke. you got to blame some on the O-line, too. They let him take shot after shot. I don't think I've ever seen Drew Locke get hit that many times. He got hit, and then even when he wasn't getting hit, like I said, he could see the pocket collapsing on his right side, which is mm-hmm. the side that the quarterback's the most aware of. Right. But another another um big negative we had, which has been on the show before and I feel like will continue to be on the show every episode we have, is our special teams. Awful. It started off awful with Deontay Spencer's opening kickoff. What what do you think was going through his mind on that play, Nate? I think it was his first time back returning. I think in his head, he hyped himself up that he was going to come back and do something crazy, get a touchdown return, and just completely fix everything, which I like Mm because you want to feel like you can have an impact on the team. But it was a ball that he probably shouldn't have taken out, and then he brings it out which I'm fine with, but then he realized he didn't have any room to run, so he decided to turn around and go backwards and then didn't have any room to run that side and right. turned around and ran backwards the other way, and Got it just kept going downhill, 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 downhill. He probably ran a total of 70 yards to gain, what, 5 yards, 5, 10 yards, yeah, something well, like that? Yeah, gain 15 yards and lose 10. Mm-hmm. Another uh, big negative on special teams was Sam Martin, who, for the most part, has he was, been... He was booming the ball. Right. He's been pretty good this season, but his average hang time on Sunday was 3.7 seconds, which, if you yeah. know football, that is not good for a punter. Yeah, if you, if you watched any punt return that they had, the returner, Renfro, would catch the ball, yep. and there would be one player within five yards, and the next closest guy would be like 10, 15 mm-hmm. yards away. Like, it just wasn't... And a with that, situation. and having having bad hang time like that definitely doesn't help with when you have a poor tackling team like our Denver Broncos have on special teams. Yeah. We're one of the worst. I think we're rated the worst special teams in the NFL at this point. If we're not, we should be. And they were definitely exposed by Hunter Renfro on that one return that he had on Sunday. But luckily, that was called back from with a flag. But that doesn't really matter because they still blew us out. So yeah, yeah. And the final negative I have. On here is the rush defense, which they honestly seem to just give up towards the end of the game. Yeah, um, I don't think it's that they gave up. You got to take into consideration how much time they were on the field, and like the Raiders run the like field position game like constantly. The Broncos were backed up, and mm-hmm. it's just mentally tough to be in that situation. Yeah, I guess with the Raiders having two good running backs in Josh Jacobs and Devontae Booker, who we were right about being us being worried about this week, by the way, everybody. Both of them went off. They both destroyed us. Devontae Booker had two huge touchdown runs against us, and I think Josh Jacobs also had two touchdowns, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 But that'll that'll conclude the negatives. Let's get into something a little bit more positive, more positive and <laughs> optimistic. We'll get into some Pro Bowl considerations. So if you don't know this week they opened up Pro Bowl voting, so I thought it would be a good time to kind of run through our team and decide who we think should be in consideration for Pro Bowl votes. Um, we're definitely not those type of people that just vote the Broncos in every category. We only try to vote who actually players, deserves the Yeah, go. players that deserve it. So I'll start off with players that I, I think deserve to be in the Pro Bowl. Start off on our only offensive player that I selected was Garrett Bowles. 100%. He's been playing out of his mind. Top two tackle and pro football focus yep. ratings. Yeah. And then I basically I have one special teams player, which is Brandon McManus. He's been money all year, making every everything that he gets out there to kick. Yep. And then I have a handful of defenders because our defense has been playing well. I'll start with the D-line. I pick Shelby Harris. I think he's been playing amazing. It's tough to consider him because he's missed so many weeks. Right. But with the play he's put on the field, I hope if he gets back that Saints game and plays the rest of the year, he should definitely be considered. He should have gone to the Pro Bowl last year, in my opinion. Yeah. And then linebacking core, I selected Josie Jewell as our only linebacker. Like He's improved his coverage, his tackling, everything. He's been carrying 
our defensive run. Stopping. The only the only sad thing about that is is you're not really a Broncos fan or Iowa fan. You're not really gonna know who Josie Jewell is. Yeah, so. that's true. Um, now to the DBs, which I think is our greatest bright spot on our team. I have Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons, both our safeties. Top safety tandem in the league. Yeah, I still, I mean, Kareem Jackson has showed so much tenacity and just been hitting like crazy. Simmons has been a ball hawk, which is exactly what we need. And then I have Bryce Callahan there as well. His He is the second highest rated corner right now in the NFL, yep. playing out of his mind. What do you think about those considerations? I would definitely say all of them... De- Deserve serious Pro Bowl consideration, seeing and, as we only and, had Cortland Sutton go last year. Justin Simmons was second-team All-Pro last year, I believe, yeah. and he didn't go to the Pro Bowl. I mean, at the end of the day, the Pro Bowl is a popularity contest, so only the well-named yeah. players so, are going to go. With that popularity contest, who do you think that I've mentioned will win that popularity contest and actually get there? I think Justin Simmons, now that the NFL has given him a little more attention, will yeah. go. And I think if player voting and coach voting takes a big consideration Garrett Bowles should also yeah, get in yeah as well as Brandon McManus I think those are our three most likely three. to get in yeah. yeah and Bryce Callahan's up there too yeah. if I had to add one more it'd be Bryce if he keeps playing the rest of the season the yeah. way he has been so along with those are my considerations that Mark is supporting um, Fangio came out with a list of players that he wanted to and he named all the players that I put up there but he also named four others, which I want to take your kind of right. ideas Hit me on. with them. So he said Dalton Reisner, Graham Glasgow on offense. How do you feel about those two? Uh, I definitely do not believe Graham Glasgow should go. Uh, he's missed a lot of time this year, and he really has been nothing but average. Dalton Reisner maybe should go. But he's also been pretty average here, but his play is also getting pulled down by Lloyd Cushenberry. Yeah, and it, it's tough. Is I mean, how do you take a Broncos offensive line with our overall performance into mm-hmm. consideration? Yeah, how do you look at the offensive line from last week and say any of those guys deserve yeah, it? We, we don't have like a Joe Thomas situation. Right. It's, it's not that. We don't have goat linemen. Yeah, so the next two that Fangio listed that I did was Bradley Chubb and Alexander Johnson. How do you feel about them? I think Bradley Chubb has a shot to go to the Pro Bowl if he can maybe pick up six or seven more sacks this season. I think he's sitting at five and a half right now. If he can... He's had a couple Pro Bowl caliber games, but mm-hmm. not a Pro Bowl caliber season. If he can string it together for the rest of the year and he can hit that 12 and a half, 13 sack mark, I think he yeah. has a shot to yeah, go to the Pro Bowl. That's the number. Yeah. Yeah. And then Alexander Johnson, like personally, like he's been playing so well, deserves starter, deserves credit, mm-hmm. but he's just not done anything super fantastic he's just been like a sideline to sideline tackler like he hasn't really been forcing Mm -hmm. fumbles turnovers sacks like if you go to the popularity contest johnson will would definitely make it in before jewel because he gets a little more attention outside of denver yeah the dinosaur celebration has definitely gotten him a little more attention yeah and then i'll finish this section with a question to you Kind of leading in perfectly. Who do you think still has a chance besides Chubb and Johnson? Who you think could get and earn their way into the Pro Bowl? I think two players that should definitely get serious Pro Bowl consideration should be Jerry Judy and Noah Fant, two of our brightest spots on offense. Jerry Judy, every single week, like I said last week, you see highlights of his route running, of him embarrassing these veteran DBs. Yes. And Noah Fant is starting to blossom into one of the top tight ends in the top, league. Top five easily Yeah, right top now. five tight ends in the NFL. Yeah, um, so along with that, they're doing a new format for the Pro Bowl this year, so they're not going to have an in-person game like they normally do. They're going to do some sort of like Madden simulation tournament, and each team's roster will be the Pro Bowl roster. So like, if Jerry Judy gets selected to the Pro Bowl as the AFC, he'll play with the AFC Pro Bowl team against an nfc player i assume you have any more information about that i think what they are gonna attempt to do i don't know if they're gonna be able to pull it off is they're gonna have players controlling themselves in the game maybe but i don't know if they're gonna be able to get 32 players or 11 players on at once so it'll be interesting to see if they can somehow get a new system so they can have like linemen control themselves but 
I see. I definitely heard a couple of different strategies, so yeah. it'll be something to pay I attention know they, to. I know they said in the week leading up, they're going to have like celebrities playing against players, like yeah. 1v1 in Madden. So that should be kind of interesting. I'm not that big of a fan of esports, so I was a little bummed out when I saw this because I'm kind of a fan of the Pro Bowl. I like, I enjoy watching it, even though it's become two-hand touch these last couple of years. Yeah, but it's still it's still a fun environment as yeah. you see the players interact and mm-hmm. they're mic'd up and they have the dodgeball game beforehand yeah. and all that stuff. So The skills challenge definitely is one of the cooler parts of the Pro Bowl now. So what we're going to do now is we're going to get into the uh, offensive line. We're going to do a whole segment on them. This is, this is the Mark Hood segment of the podcast. Last week I did a deep dive into drew lock this week we're going to do a deep dive into the offensive line we're going to start off right now with our biggest weakness we are in the raiders game we were down to our fifth string right tackle calvin anderson was activated off the practice squad heard of to be to a fifth er- string anything earlier in the week he did not play very well he allowed five pressures and had a 39.5 run block grade according to pro football focus but we're, I'm just going to run you through these names real quick, Nate, for the right tackle spot. We have Juwan James, who is supposed to be our starter, opted out. Yeah, he opted out. We Which have, we, we offered him, or we gave him a lot of money yeah. to help that side. And, and he barely played last year. He was injured most of the yeah, year. We haven't gotten any play time almost like almost like he's finessing us basically yeah and then I have Elijah Wilkinson here, who's been on IR for most of the season. Hopefully he gets back soon. Have Demar Dotson, who had a groin injury, missed the last game. Luckily, he will be back on Sunday, so we will have our third string right tackle back. And Jake Rogers, with a shoulder injured his shoulder, he was our fourth string. He didn't play very well either. What do you think about that, Nate? I mean, it was it was tough to watch. I kind of already went over it with the fact of um, like all the pressure in his face, uh, in Locke's face, and stuff like that. He was just blown up constantly. And I remember one play specifically where Drew Locke just got pile drove into the ground. And I watched what he did. And Anderson literally stepped off the ball and moved to the left and didn't even touch or anything the guy on the outside. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't like a linebacker blitzing in. It was a D lineman that set up in the three-point stance. And he just left him. A and, lot of the times I saw Calvin Anderson, it looked like he was chasing the D-linemen. Yeah. Like he was running behind them trying to catch them because they just blew right by him. Obviously, yeah. you can't expect him to be all-star game one. But. I, I mean, he has no real NFL playing experience, and I think he just was not mentally ready. I don't mm-hmm. think he expected NFL D-linemen to be as fast as they are. He's in college, you get a lot that are... Mm-hmm. big and slow and strong but not right. the speed that the nfl has yeah and i believe he uh hyped himself up a little too much on twitter in the week leading to the game i don't know if you saw any of his yeah. tweets that he did but he hyped it up he was s- hype yeah he was hype give him credit he was hype and he stepped up and he didn't make any excuses but it just seems that he was not ready for that game no nah, he he thought it was going to be a movie mm-hmm. and right it was maybe a horror film. So now we're going to flip it over to the other side of the line to a present, pleasant surprise that we've been having in Garrett Bowles. Gotta love him this year. Right. We, Nate and I have been pretty harsh on Garrett Bowles his whole career, but he has definitely, <laughs> definitely proved us wrong this season with his strongest and season yet as a pro. I hope every harsh take we have gets proven wrong. Exactly. He actually was the only Broncos lineman this last week with a run grade above 60. He had a 67.5. The next closest to that was Dalton Reisner with a 56.2. So I'm going to pose a question to you, Nate. Why do you think we can't run block this season? I I think it's a unit thing. I don't think it's a skill issue. I think it's our line don't know how to work together. Because mm-hmm. all run blocking is is working together to create create those holes. Like Reisner, we know he can push anybody off the ball. Bowles, he is ginormous. Lloyd Cushenberry, big strong kid. Glasgow, great blocker in mm-hmm. Detroit. Like right tackle, obviously a big question mark, but you should be able to run the ball up the middle and to the left side, but they're just not moving people in unison. Right, They're moving people by themselves and not together. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's been a lot of veterans having to pick up for the younger guys on the line. Yep. And like, speaking of that, we're going to go and like talk about how unstable the right side of our line has been. We've had at least, I think six different starters at right guard and right tackle combined this season. And we now are in our 17th starting right tackle since Orlando Franklin has left the team. Yeah. 
And yeah, I mean, Orlando Franklin, what a goat of a right tackle. And it's the same kind of thing as Peyton Manning. Like once you lose one of those hard, like just so good of a player and you try to replace them, there's so much pressure on replacing that position. And we just haven't found that guy yet. Yeah. Why, why do you think we haven't been able to find that guy? Do you think it's just right tackles that hard of a position to find? Or do you think it just takes a special type of person to play that position in the NFL? Um, I think we just haven't, I mean, I don't want to say we haven't invested a lot because Cushion Bear, like we've paid for Juwan James and stuff like that. We've, we've spent money on a right tackle, but I feel like we haven't put in what we need to. Like, right. I feel like we're overlooking that because we're so focused on the quarterback situation. But I feel like if we sure up that offensive line, the quarterback's going to be mm. less of an issue. It definitely is pretty concerning seeing as we hired Mike Munchak solely for the fact that he would come in and fix our O-line. With that being said, Nate, what do you think they have to do to get better? <sighs> Everything. Yeah. Everything. Um, yeah, like, where do, where do we start? They need to work better together. They need to just, like, that's that's the main thing. Like, fit, like... A lot of teams have issues with, like, the physical abilities of their offensive linemen, and I don't see that as an issue for us besides right tackle. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's all mental that we need to improve, which I really think, like, our O-line coach would get us there. Like, right. I was so happy when we signed him, but... He was our second choice to be head coach. I was surprised they actually secured him for the coaching yep. job. yeah. So that's going to conclude my segment on the offensive line. Yeah, and we'll get into a segment I've added. So before we get into rookie spotlight, I want to kind of throw out a shout out every week to a veteran player who did some good stuff with the Broncos. And I figure why not start um, this with the earliest playing um, Hall of Famer the Broncos have. So I have Willie Brown. He only played three, four years with the Broncos, but he did start playing from in 1963 so he is technically our first playing bronco that is in the, the broncos fame. were not very good those first few years yeah so. so the broncos were playing rough so a little bit about willie brown he is from yazoo city mississippi never have you heard ever of, heard of that never heard of that yazoo city sounds awesome but though. to be fair i don't think i can name a single city in mississippi yeah. right now so so he lived a long life he passed away a little over a year ago, October 22nd of last year, at 78 years old, which is a pretty long life. Mm -hmm. And then he played 16 seasons in the NFL. He had 54 interceptions, 472 interception yards. That's big time. And he returned two of those interceptions for touchdowns. And if you watch NFL films, all those cool black and white stuff back in the day, you probably saw Willie Brown's 75-yard interception return in the Super Bowl. It's a great piece of film because obviously they didn't have a ton of cameras there, but they had like two camera angles they used, and the second camera angle they panned to, it looks like Willie Brown's just running straight at you for like 50 yards. That's pretty cool. It's, That's pretty it's cool. awesome. Um, definitely look it up. And that was in Super Bowl eleven. so... Long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> Um, Some other stuff about him. He was a five-time AFL All-Star Game participant. He went to four Pro Bowls. He went to, like, the first four Pro Bowls. Yep. He also went to nine AFL, AFC title games before before NFC. Yep. And he was in two Super Bowls with the Raiders. Um, Big thing that I really find interesting about Willie Brown was he was an undrafted DB. The Oilers just picked him up and they ended up cutting him because they're like he's not good enough broncos were like come over here let's give him a shot he played amazing his second year with the broncos he was an all pro player and then after yeah after a couple years he not not got a big head because he didn't but Mm -hmm. i know you're a top caliber defender you don't want to play for some sorry team yeah you don't want to play for a team that's losing a lot so he wanted a lot more money things like that and a chance to win so we ended up trading him to the Raiders where he was very successful with the stats I gave earlier um some other stuff that he did with the Broncos when he was playing with the Broncos in his second year he had four interceptions against the Jets which just proves 
the Jets are the Jets. Yep. They'll and always be the Jets. Four interceptions in one game is still a NFL record for most interceptions in a single game. There's a couple other people that have done it. I think D'Angelo Hall most is, recently is the against most the Bears. Re- yep. So he's definitely still has his name in the records book, which is cool for a player who started in 1963. Exactly. Um, and then he he held the longest interception return in Super Bowl history, which is now held by James Harrison, obviously. You had that 100-yard anomaly right, right. there. See, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Nate. I actually didn't know Willie Brown ever played for Denver. Yep, yep. He started, we gave him the shot and gave him that chance to prove who he was and ended up having a Hall of Fame career. Yep. And we were part of that. Exactly. So that, that'll feed us now into our rookie spotlight, go opposite and go with our really young guys. Uh, starting out with our rookie receivers, they had another great game. Um, as they ob- always do. Obviously, the production isn't as good as last week because our offense didn't perform as well. Mm-hmm. But Judy had four catches for 68 yards. Hamler had another four for 50 yards. And they were targeted 18 times. So they're definitely being involved. How would you feel about their production? I definitely think it could have been better, not because of anything they did. I think Drew Locke could have done a better job getting the ball. (laughs) There was definitely some plays, if you watch, where Jerry Judy was either wide open across the middle or down the sideline, and Drew Locke just either didn't see him. Or didn't have time. Didn't have time. time. Panicked to throw. So I definitely think Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler could both have stats maybe twice as good as these if Drew Locke... Had Got time. them the ball, yeah. Yep. Had time. Yeah, I saw a quote from Jerry Judy earlier today. That's, he was talking about K.J. Hamler and how good he is, and he referred to K.J. Hamler as a shorter me. Yeah, which is <laughs> it's hard or hard to believe we have one Jerry Judy, let alone two. So. Yeah, let alone Jerry Judy and a short Jerry Judy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so our next rookie spotlight player will be Michael Ojemudia. Um, he played... Zero defensive snaps, so it's kind of the opposite of a spotlight. Um, what did you think? How do you think he played two games ago? I think against the Falcons, I thought he played pretty well, but apparently the coaches didn't because, from what I've heard, he was just straight up benched. Maybe he said something, or maybe he did something. To- yeah. So obviously, we have our two starting cornerbacks come back, which pushes him down to that three, four, five spot. Um, and they were playing Isang Basie or Bassi a lot over him. Do you yeah. think Bassie played better than OJ Moody in the Falcons game? I think he was more noticeable because of his stops in the backfield. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that they feel maybe a little more comfortable playing him as the slot corner slash nickel corner. I also yeah. noticed He's not a rookie, but I noticed Duke Dawson was getting a lot of reps at corner yeah. against the Raiders, yeah, they, too. Yeah, they so. were kind of playing our bigger depth guys like yeah. the ones that are a little bit better around the line and can hit yeah a little bit more physical yeah. yeah as we know oj moody is kind of a small guy he's been having some trouble wrapping up he's yeah, definitely he, more of an arm tackle guy so arm tackle guy or he leads with the shoulder with no arms yeah he can't get both of them together yet which he'll he'll figure that out typical DB. so obviously i already kind of talked about bassy he played just about the whole game. He only allowed three catches on three targets, so he wasn't targeted a lot, but that's to his credit that he wasn't targeted. But also, to the Raiders' credit, they didn't have to throw the ball that much. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, on his three targets, he did allow 30 yards. That's 10 yards of pop, so not great, but I Could mean, be worse. he did play well in the run game, which I think is what you put him in there for, not mm-hmm. for his passing ability or coverage. Um, next up, Lloyd Cushenberry played well, I think, in the pass game. Obviously, it's easy to pass block when you know you're going to pass block every single play. You kind of get yep. into that routine as you don't have to adjust going forward or backwards mm-hmm. off the snap. Um, but he only allowed one pressure, which against the Falcons, all our pressure came straight up the middle. Yep. Last week, it came all from the outsides. So yeah, they definitely uh, attacked the weak right sides yeah, that benefited yeah. Cushionberry a little Wasn't bit. Wasn't really a better performance by the line. We just did better at something and did worse. Better in certain areas, worse in other yeah. areas. So Cushionberry, yeah. he had a 71.3 pass blocking rating on Pro Football Focus. His run blocking rating was a 54.3. So definitely not where we want it to be. But pass blocking, 
That's I'm, pretty good. I, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm impressed, impressed with that, yeah. And then our final person is McTelvin Aguim. He had one tackle. I didn't really notice him. Did you want to speak I, on him? I think I, I think I noticed him maybe once. He's just a quiet guy. We kind of yeah. just threw him in here because yeah. he was a rookie that got playing yeah, time. Yeah, he, so. he, he did get playing time. He just didn't really have had a, a very humongous impact. So I'll swing it over to you, and let's get looking into the next week. Maybe a little optimism. Yeah, so... We're going to jump right into our preview of the Dolphins game. On paper, let's look at the Dolphins. They have a 6-3 and three record, 1-2 and two in the division, not very impressive. But what's impressive about them is they're coming off of a five-game win streak, which is not something you hear very often with the Dolphins. Hey, I mean, yeah, not since, like, the early thousands. Yeah, with Chad Pennington. <laughs> Chad Pennington, yeah. yeah. After he came over from the Jets. Yeah. But, so, their offensive rank league-wide is 22nd. They have the 20th ranked defense and the 19th ranked special teams, which scares me a little bit right there. Yeah, yeah, because our our special teams, we obviously know, are, are Not an, very, issue, yeah. an issue. <laughs> Offensively, they score about 27.9 points per game which they, yeah which we're allowing over 30 the last four weeks so that's right. not a good sign uh they're throwing for about 219 yards and rushing for 98 yards defensively they're giving up 20.2 points per game which is not good for us at all yeah we i mean you see we had the raiders last week who averaged 30 points per game and and their defense, that one video you showed me, Nate, their defense, how they confuse the quarterback. Oh, my where, gosh. Yeah, I saw this video of them at the uh, like They had all four D linemen up at the ball, and they had three linebackers and a safety brought up. So and they, they just kept moving. They had eight, and it was crazy. I'd never seen it before, but their their D line wasn't set, and their linebackers weren't set, and that safety that came down wasn't set. And they, it literally looked like they were alternating. They just constantly were moving before the snap. They, they literally showed like four different formations before the ball snapped. And then they blitzed everybody, which mm-hmm. you would not think that all of them would come. Yeah. And it just overwhelmed the team. definitely going to be a problem for our team. Yeah, our, our, our O-line, I don't think, will be able to mentally no. handle that. And I don't think Drew Locke will be able to mentally handle that either. Yeah. Also, their defense, they allow about... 243 pass yards per game and 128 rushing yards per game. So hopefully this is that's, the week we finally get the rushing game That's going. what I'm excited about. Come on, give Philip Lindsay the ball. Let him get to 130. <laughs> so what do you think we should watch out for in this game, Nate? Yeah, so watching out for the biggest thing is going to be can Drew Locke bounce back? Because yep. he's had a couple games, and at this point, listening to some other analysts and stuff, and I agree with them, the rest of this year is going to decide if he's playing for us next year. Yep. He is literally in a job audition the next of the season. Mm-hmm. If he has a couple really good games, we'll probably bring him back. Yeah. Maybe bring him back with some competition, something like that. Bit, yeah. If he plays amazing, he comes back as the guy. And if he continues playing like he is, he'll probably be a backup guy. Do you think it's fair for this to be his audition with a banged-up O-line, no Cortland Sutton, a non-existent running game, no Albert O., it's it's tough. And and that's the same question I got to ask you in return is, is it fair to judge Pat Shermer with this team? That's another good question because <laughs> he definitely in New York, he had Daniel Jones, the guy in Drew Locke's class. So, but I don't think he anticipated just how young and inexperienced yeah. this offense yeah, actually it, is. It's just a question. It's the same question for both of them. Are... Are their surroundings affecting them? And how do you evaluate somebody in a situation with so many injuries? Because, like, Drew Locke, obviously there's some plays that you can't count against him because of the O-line or because of the wide receiver depth and the tight end depth and all that stuff. But there are other situations where there's no issues. Like, our O-line is bad, but there are times where he's getting clean pockets there are drives where he's able to drive the ball and he does or doesn't which Mm -hmm. is where he will be i've seen i've seen quotes about drew lock where it's like he has shown the flashes of a great quarterback but he cannot string them together yeah so yeah and yeah that's what it is Mm -hmm. i saw that quote that if you saw the misquoted quote from him from pro football focus this week they released a quote that said like what do you think about when you're throwing the ball or something like that? And he responded, every time I release, or when I release the ball, sometimes I just say, oh no. And it made it seem like he just doesn't know what he's doing. 
but the quote was actually talking about um, pressure. Mm-hmm. They threw a lot of a couple of those three dots in there, yeah. which is a little sketchy. I did a little more research, and turns out he, they were asking him about interceptions, right? Yeah, those interceptions and um, being pressured, and what he realizes when he sees those people come through the line. And he said that like a lot of the times he'll be looking down the field at Judy, mm-hmm. and last second when he's about to throw, he'll realize he's about to get murdered and right after he throws the ball he says oh no because he's about to get leveled not because mm-hmm. he doesn't know yeah. what he's doing so that was kind of taken out of context yeah do you think the uh run game is going to bounce back this week nate do you <laughs> another question do you think philip Lindsay will get the ball <laughs> if philip Lindsay gets the ball i think we have a chance if not i think we're screwed yeah i i'm melvin gordon i'll give him credit he played his best game of the season last week it wasn't a great game not st- statistically no but effort wise yes yeah he he broke a lot more tackles than i've seen him break this year it kind of looked back to the chargers gordon than, yeah. than our gordon even wisconsin melvin gordon yeah so i mean and he found some some gaps that i didn't think he was gonna find so i mean, maybe we get him running on first down hopefully not second down and we get philip Lindsay running in there too maybe closer to 50 50 split i think we'll mm-hmm. be fine yeah, I think it'll only be important for uh, the offensive line to get like to the point of attack to hit them hard and get a good push, so that way Philip Lindsay can get through. And uh, yeah, that's that's the issue with our run game is our O line immediately gets pushed back two yards, and then our running backs have to find a skinny gap, skinny hole to get to the back to the line of scrimmage. Like right. like our our running backs right now are fighting to get to the line of scrimmage because they're starting backwards right and then we're going to flip the side uh on defense you're going to want to watch to see if they can get pressured they have been struggling to get pressured the last few weeks yeah how long can we blame it on injuries exactly because these guys that are playing now yeah they're backups they're low depth guys playing though but they've been playing for a couple games now yeah and they've been getting the starter reps in practice they've been getting more attention from the coaches granted yes our defensive coordinator ed donatell is still in the hospital with covid hope he gets well soon but our defense needs to start producing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially people like Bradley Chubb. Yeah, yeah. So uh, playing off of that, who worries you in this game, Nate? Looking at the Dolphins roster, there's a couple people. Um, start with Jakeem Grant. His obviously field position is such an important aspect of how we play football, and we've been doing horrible at it. And if he's able to return and kind of flip the field, even if he's getting 10 yards on a punt return or right. 30 yards on a kick return. I think he's averaging 15 yards per punt return yeah, this season. Yeah. He has a punt return touchdown, which is very scary for us. Yeah, and it was like 80-something yards. Yeah. yeah. Jakeem Grant is a sneaky good player in the NFL. Yeah, he's he's overlooked right now because he's young, but once you start looking at him, you get scared very mm-hmm. quick. Um, Reminds me a lot of like... The impact that Cordero Patterson had in the beginning of his career. Yeah, especially shout out to him for playing for the Bears this last week with uh, tying the record for most kick return touchdowns yeah. in the NFL, though. Yeah, big time. Wish he was on our team. <laughs> yeah, tied on what, Leon Washington? Yeah. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, another part that I'm kind of scared of here is their tight ends. Years past, we have always struggled with tight ends. Even when we like we're going to the Super Bowl, the Patriots would destroy us with our linebackers trying to cover tight ends. Rob Gronkowski yeah. used to give me so much anxiety when yeah. we played them so in the playoffs. So they have Gusecki, who gets the second most targets on the whole team. So obviously Tua loves him. Mm-hmm. Fitzpatrick loved him for good reason. Right. He was a beast at Penn State, one of the most athletic tight ends in the NFL. Yeah, so he already has this year like just shy of 400 yards and two touchdowns, so he's had an impact. Um and then they also have Smythe and Shaheen, who both have two touchdowns each. So between their tight ends alone, they have six touchdown catches. That's big time. Now, my optimism right here to kind of counteract this fear is that Josie Jewell has been covering yep. amazingly all year. Mm-hmm. So hopefully Jewell can cover one of these guys. And then hopefully Simmons covers the second. Yeah. Or we or our slot corner covers that second guy. Luckily for us, Gasecki is one of those more lanky tight ends, more like an Evan Ingram. Maybe if we put yeah. a couple big hits on him, he'll be a little scared to wear, run over wear the him middle. Down. Yeah. yeah, he's not one of those big physical tight ends like a Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. So along with this passing game, Tua 
terrifies me. And the, the most terrifying thing about Tua is that their O-line blocks for him and he doesn't have to move. Nope. He can extend plays, but if you watch his game so far, he's barely throwing the ball. He's throwing the ball like just over 20 times a game. And he doesn't have to run at all. He just yep. gets to stand there and just find his guys. And he's just an accurate passer right now. He's proven so far in his first few games that like mm-hmm. when he has time and is not pressured, he finds who he needs to find. He goes through his whole progression. It's scary. That's like what you and I were talking about the other day, how the national media has been hyping Tua up when he really hasn't been doing much as a quarterback. Yeah, he's he, been doing as much as Tim Tebow threw. Yeah, honestly, it's... The same same deal basically with less running. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, he's the game is won with their O line and their running game, and then he is backseat to that. They run the ball well, and then they throw in play action passes, and the defense is scared of that run, so they're sitting back on it, and then we have wide wide open tight ends coming open mm-hmm. for touchdowns and stuff like that. I definitely think that the thing that concerns me the most about this game is the special teams play. We talked about Jakeem oh, Grant yeah. already. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if our special teams will actually be able to stop. Excuse me, stop him. If they'll be able to tackle him. Now, quick question about um, our Harris signing or releasement. Do you think that's because of his special teams play? Probably. Yeah, I think. I think so. Because I noticed they did swing Ojemudia more into special teams this week, trying to get him better. Maybe that's to teach him how to tackle better. Yeah, I just know that Harris. He ran into the punt returner once. Yep. And then a second time, the punt returner told everybody to get away. Yeah, We're not catching right. it. And he still ran back there with his guy, and the ball almost hit him. Like, two times he almost caused him off punt. It's almost like Wes Walker a few years ago against the Patriots mm-hmm. in that overtime game. Yep. I forgot who ran. I think it was, what, Tony Carter ran into him during that? Yep, and yeah. just ruined everything. Well, oh, don't want to talk about it. So now that we've talked about who worries us, we're going to get into the keys to winning the game. And I think the number one key to us winning the game is we have to make Tua uncomfortable. Yeah, he, he has some... Uh, for as much as we are hyping up his unpressured stats, his pressured stats are rough. Yeah. They are rough. I'll throw his passer ratings out there. When he is totally in a clean pocket, has no pressure, he has 114 passer rating. Which... For- which a perfect passer rating is 135. It's 158.3. Is it? Oh, yeah. my bad. And it's... <laughs> Counteract that. <and> <laughs> and then for his under pressure passer rating, it drops all the way down to a 71%. So clearly... That's like a Drew Locke level. Yeah, clearly he is not very good under pressure. And that's that thing if he's young. When he has time to go through his progression, he finds his receivers. When he pressure, When he's pressured... He forces stuff. It's the same thing Drew Locke's doing. It's just Drew Locke is pressured the whole game, and Tua is pressured a small portion. Another of the game. thing about this, this might be a little low blow to Tua. Sorry if you hear this, Tua, but do you think he's also trying to protect his hip back there? He gets a little scared when he gets rushed because of his severe hip injury he had last season. I mean, maybe, but it's also I think he's pressured so few times that like. When he does get pressured, it's like do. out of the ordinary. It's yeah. something crazy when he gets pressured. <laughs> yeah, he has no no idea what to do back there. Another key turnover, which is big from last week, is we need to limit our turnovers this yes. week. Yes, yes. Like, we drive, we drive, we drive, we get some momentum, get pressured, throw a pick. So have the, a fumble, something. Speaking of turnovers, the Broncos have a negative 12 turnover differential, which I believe is the worst in the NFL. I think I saw a stat that we lead the NFL with 21 or 22 turnovers this season. No, we're close. Close. We're not, we're not leading, but we're like I know, second or yeah. something like that. We're close to being. Yeah. yeah. And to flip that, the Dolphins have forced 15 turnovers, which is tied for the third most in the NFL. Yeah, so we have the most turnover-prone team. Playing against... Like, the the team that's the best at getting turnovers right. and so, they have Xavier Howard out there and uh, and Byron I, Jones too yeah, right? yeah I think I think that'll help me out later I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit that later on all right um so next up we need to have a balanced offense like we talked about earlier we only had 17 <laughs> rushes last week right you can't win games when you abort the run even if the run isn't going well you still need to throw in runs to set up your pass game. Yeah, so last week we ran, what is that, 71 plays, 
and 52 of those plays were passes. Yeah. And that's that's ridiculous. At that point, the team doesn't even have to worry about queuing in on your running backs. Like we said earlier, they can just pressure your quarterback and just hit him, hit him, hit him, and make yeah, him not Yeah, they just anymore. release full pressure because there's no worry of a running mm-hmm. back breaking through your blitz. Um, next up, we need to limit their rushing attack, which is mainly our, o- or our D-line because yep. our linebackers are doing their job. Safety's just, coming down and hitting. Yeah, we just need to block up the holes with our big men. We can't let their runners get to the second level because they like to run the ball a lot to take the pressure off of Tua. Yeah. And then finally, our final key to winning the game would be to neutralize their return game. Like we said earlier, Jakeem Grant is averaging 15 yards per punt return. He's super fast, and if we can limit and elusive, him, elusive. Yeah, if we can limit his returns by either Sam Martin getting good hang time and getting guys down there or kicking it out of bounds we should be able to control their field position and make them actually have to drive the ball down on us. Yep. So that kind of concludes our preview for next week. Now we'll get into our score predictions. So I'll go first. Last week I picked the Broncos. Mark picked the Mark picked the Raiders. He got that one. So I'm going to flip the script this week, um, bite my tongue, and I'm going to go with the Dolphins winning. And I'm going to say 31-21. And I'm thinking two of those touchdowns come late in the game. I'm thinking yep, we're losing we're, we're losing by a lot, and we kind of get some promising drives at the end. My prediction is I believe the Dolphins will score around 30 points as well, but I do not believe the Broncos will score as much off of what I've seen. I think it's going to be a rough game for us. I believe the Broncos are going to lose 30-13. to 13. Yeah, hey. Hard take right there. Yeah, that's a hard take. And as a Broncos fan, that kills me, but I'm being realistic here. Yeah. And yeah. so finally, we're going to conclude with our Hail Mary predictions, which we did last week. Neither one of our predictions came true last week, unfortunately. Yeah, that's why they're, that's why they're <laughs> Hail Marys. I'll start off. I believe in this game, Philip Lindsay is going to get 15-plus touches. So PPR guys, start him. I started him last week. He did awful, only got me negative .2 points. I think this week it's going to flip the script and he's going to go off. Yeah, so, I mean, 15 touches isn't a ton, but for what we've seen Philip Lindsay's getting lately, 15 touches might be even bigger of an ass than what we said last week. Right. Um, so now I'm going to revisit what I kind of mentioned last week with our turnover differential. I think my Hail Mary will be that the Broncos are plus two in turnover differential. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, that's interesting with the most turnover-prone offense against the best turnover-creating defense. But, hey, if we are plus two turnover differential, I think both our game picks will be wrong. Drew Locke, go through your progressions and don't force the ball. And Melvin Gordon, we're looking at you. Hold on to the rock. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that that concludes um, our Hail Mary predictions right there. Yeah, so with that, uh, that's going to conclude our episode this week. We really appreciate all the support we have gotten across the country. Tune in next week for yet another episode. Once again, I'm Mark. I'm Nate, and we're the Appalachian Broncos.